Welcome back to the Bible Caddy Podcast. I'm William Kane, and I'm joined by my good buddies, multi-time tour winners, Ben Crane and Webb Simpson. What's up, boys? What's up, Willie Kane, Ben Crane? How we doing, fellas? Good to be back. Great to see you, Weber. Great playing at Wyndham. That was super fun to watch. 63s on Sunday just seemed to, I don't know, they seem to t- make dinner taste a little better. Thank you, Benjamin. You know, it was a, a, a great week. I'm super thankful to the Lord. Um, you know, you, you work on stuff for a long time and sometimes don't see results for a long time and had a actually very frustrating end to the day on Saturday. Uh, and, you know, I feel like I've had some rounds this spring and the summer where I had potential to shoot four or five under and end up shooting one or two under. Um, and so finally Sunday uh, was just able to capitalize and, um, super thankful. Got a call from Joe Mayo and he was with you and Victor. So that was fun here and y'all cheer me on. So thanks for your support, buddy. It's awesome. So much fun. Ben, tell us about your weekend. So yeah, I was with, uh, Victor Hovland and Joseph Mayo, uh, here at the Troubadour in Nashville. And we just practiced and played for golf for three straight days and just, it's so fun to get better. It's so fun to have good information and it's so fun to play with one of the best players in the world and just compete. And it was, it's just remarkable how good Victor is, um, how much better he's gotten in the last man, six months. Um, and we just had a great time and then he stayed with us and we just, um, um, he's just amazing. And my family just, loves him. We had ping pong and pickleball and we just ate well. My wife's an amazing cook. So we just literally just had a great time. So he just left for, to go to the first uh, FedEx cup event in Memphis. Uh, He and Joe and Shay is caddy. So we had a great time. It was a fun weekend. Ben, let let me just ask this. There's, there's no way that Victor can handle the art of junk talk. Like, like you can, is there, I mean, it's not the same league, right? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there, there's not a lot of junk talk on the on the <laughs> ping pong table, but I, I instead of ping pong, I just set Brady up versus Victor and Joe and I just hoot and holler because they had an, some epic matches. And then, you know, on the golf course, he, I mean, he he's a complete rookie on junk talk. I mean, he's just like yeah, he just I call smiles. it all on the yeah, I call it all on the front end. You know, he just kind of giggles, you know, whatever. But I just, I say, hey, let me just bury this on your face real quick. You're one down, you know, just, I just, you know, I just keep going. But then yesterday, he literally birdied our first, I don't know, six or seven holes. And I'm like, I, I mean, it just kept happening birdie after birdie after birdie. So I just run up to the tee. Is it my tee? <laughs> it's my team. Like, after he's made six birdies in a row, uh, I think it's me. <laughs> you know, just, I don't know what to do with it. But anyway, so we, we awesome. had a good time. But yeah, he's got a lot of room to grow in the in the smack talk area. Yeah, I mean, he just smacks talk with his clubs. I guess that's yeah, right exactly, now. exactly. Yeah. Well, fellas, one guy who's not going to Memphis next week, who's a shock to all of us, is JT. Let's talk about his finish because it was serious drama yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I think I talked to Bones in the Wednesday Pro-Am, and I said to Bones, I I smiled at him, I said, Bones, I was thinking about you the other day, I thought about, you know what, you've seen everything, caddying for Phil for, I don't know, 25-plus years, whatever it was, Um, and you've mostly been around, 
you know, your bag has been one of the top players forever. And JT still is a top player. I said, but isn't it kind of nice to be in a position where there's a massive challenge ahead of you, a challenge that JT's never faced before because it reveals a lot about you. And he kind of smiled. He's like, yeah, you're right. I mean, um, it's definitely a different position we've been in, but it's cool to see how much he's grinding. Um, and man, he grinded. He put himself in position after three rounds to have a top 10. I think he needed one stroke better and, uh, a freakishly good second shot out of the pine straw woods on 18 there. I don't think there's more than a handful of guys in the world who could have hit uh, a hook shot that, that well. And then the chip, I mean, it was a 35 yard pitch and it was almost perfect. Um, straight into the grain, dicey little chip. You got to nip it just right. You got to hit it perfect. And you also got to get it to the hole. You got to get to the hole. It's so easy to kind of hit that too hard where it go. It would have gone, you know, 15 feet by, but his probably would have gone by a couple feet. Um, but it's, it's hard to believe that he didn't make the playoffs, but he's one of those players. It'll probably make him better. I think he'll come back this fall and, it wouldn't surprise me if he won a golf term or two. And, and, and by the way, like, if the pin's not in, that, that shot goes in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if, if he had done the Phil Mickelson, you know, uh, that he did at <laughs> Palm Springs the one year, <laughs> bones tended from 80 yards. I'm like, he's going to look so bad when he, you know, bats this in the water, or, you know, hits it to 23 feet, whatever. And it lands just behind the little spin jack and almost goes in. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. If I if I asked Polly or Cookie to do that, I would fat it in the water. There's no way I'm ever doing that. Like, right? There's no way. <laughs> risky. It's totally risky. Speaking of JT, his good buddy Tiger is back in the news, joining the PGA Tour board. Webb, tell us a little bit about that and how big of a deal that is. Yeah, well, it came to be kind of, to my knowledge and to – all of us on the board out of nowhere. Um, I think there's a few players who had been talking about it and working on it for uh, a few weeks, but I think, you know, with his injuries, his age, he's somewhat distant from the game um, compared to how it used to be. And I think this has given him an opportunity to stay close to the game and we're probably the most pivotal time in the history of the PGA tour. And I think he wants to have a, a voice and, and be a voice in the room. Um, and I'm not exactly sure uh, where he stands with all this that's going on. I haven't spoken to him yet in detail, um, but it's great. I think anytime Tiger joins the board, for whatever reason, it, it, it makes the PGA Tour in a position of strength. I think it only strengthens um, who we are, what we're doing, because he's the greatest player of all time. And so I'm excited that he's going to be on the board. You know, it's crazy to think in uh, – almost 30 years he's never been on the board but this will be a great great opportunity for him i think to to learn the ins and outs but also for us to learn from him yeah and when should when should we expect to kind of hear something about the way forward is there any timeline or is that still up in the air well the only definitive timeline is december 31st we have to reach a deal if we're going to reach a deal by december 31st um but i think we'll know a lot sooner than that um I don't know if, we'll, if if there'll be any public announcements in the next couple of months, but our next official board meeting is uh, Monday of RSM. 
Um, and so I, I would be surprised if by then we have not either made a deal or uh, declined a deal uh, with the PIF. Gotcha. Cool. All right. Well, um, the last time we were all together was right before the British Open, believe it or not. And your boy picked Ron, and Ron finished top five. So I'm going to have you all send 100 bucks to College Golf Fellowship. Um, Let's go. Starting a new semester, that'll get about 15 to 20 Bibles for some college golfers. So sweet. DGF, 100 bucks. All right. Playoffs this week, boys. Uh, big stories going into Memphis, and who you picking? Mm. Who's going first? I know. I mean, Ben wants to pick Victor Hovland, but he's picked him 14 times this year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm taking him in the playoffs at least one week, and I mean, I'll, t- I'll sure I'll take him this week. Do we reset for playoffs? Yeah, I, th- I think we can reset for playoffs. That's that's fun. All right, I'll take Victor. All right, Willie, go ahead. I will go. Man, Memphis. I hadn't even given this any thought. Um, to the listener's side note, my first professional start was at TPC Southwind in Memphis with William Kane caddying for me. The ninth hole on Friday, I'm in the fairway, pins front, there's water short and left. I think I have to make par to make the cut. William goes, buddy, you just have to make bogey. I promise. I'm like, no, you're wrong. I got to make par. Let me hit wedge. Got I don't want to hit it 40 feet behind the hole on purpose. He's like, trust me, hit nine, 45, 50 feet behind the hole. Let's just get out of here. Bogey's good enough. I said, all right, I trust you. Hit it 45 feet. I'm still not sure. Make it. William was right. I was, I was sure that he was wrong, and he was definitely right. So, thank you, Willie, for that non-iron. Well, I've forgotten that story, but I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, and Ben, while we're on Memphis, we got to just communicate Ben Crane's a winner at Memphis. It's one of the best golf courses on the PJ Tour. Victor and I were talking about that. It's one of the hardest golf courses. I think it's in the top three hardest golf courses on the PJ Tour from the rough mm. and in the top – five or 10 easiest from the fairway, uh, small greens, um, but they're Bermuda greens. So if you got up out of position, you get flyers, can't mm. stop the ball in the green. It's just a wonderful golf course where you need to drive it. Well, you need to do everything. Well, it's grainy. It's Bermuda. Um, the greens are absolutely pure. It's a fun routing. If you play well, you shoot a good score. And if you don't, you just get penalized, which is what we want on the PJ tour. We want to separate who's playing well and who's not. What year did you win there, Ben? Uh, 2014. Complete smoke and mirrors. Was hitting it so bad, but was able was hitting the driver good, just keeping it in the fairway. Um, I gained eight shots putting through two days. I mean, I just gosh, yeah. So I was playing with Joe Ogilvy, and he's like, "I don't care if it was a thimble, you would have made them all this week." <laughs> they were just going in. So. Didn't you not make a birdie the last round or something like that? Did not. Uh, I chipped in. Sorry, the last day we had weather delay, so I had to play thirty holes. Hardly slept a wink. I got thirty holes to play. I go out, and I'm just over the green on uh, on seven, and um, chip it in for birdie my, for my. Um, as we restart and then don't make another birdie for the last 29 holes and um, was able to drive it right of the bunker on 18, hit it up into the right bunker and then just, um, just play for bogey the whole way, whatever. It was a nice way to, to celebrate. And Joel stock, my caddy 
one of my closest friends in the whole world. He just been so helpful through like two or three years of bad golf. And when I gave him a hug on 18, it was like, buddy, this is so much a part of your faithfulness and, mm. you know, help through these last couple of years. So that was a fun moment. That's cool. Jolie has two wins on the golf course. True. Has <laughs> anyone with notorious? Notorious. I mean, man. All right, Willie, who you got, Bob? All right, I'm picking a guy who plays well there every year, Dustin Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> How good's a walk off eagle to win by like eleven? Oh, so good. Now I'll pick. Uh, I'm going to pick Russell Henley. I like our boy bouncing back. Uh, this week after a really, really solid, you know, 69 holes. So, gosh, he played unbelievable golf last week. He did. Um, All right, I got Rory McIlroy. All right. You got him. Lock him in. All right, boys. Well, we're starting a new series today that we're going to call Who Do You Think You Are? After spending 40 weeks on who Jesus is and what he's done, now we can ask, what does that mean for us? Um, you don't have to look long or far to realize that our world is having an identity crisis. People don't know who they are. Everywhere we look, people are on a constant search to define themselves, to make themselves significant or important, to figure out who they are. And the good news for us is that the Bible has a lot to say about who we are. Mm -hmm. It communicates that for those of us who are in Christ, we've got a brand new identity something that defines us or ought to define us more than anything else. And so our our hope and prayer is that in this series, we would begin both in our minds and in our hearts to find our identity in Christ and derive our sense of self and our sense of self-worth from who God is and what he says about us, which is really the truth about who we are. Um, So we're going to be in Romans 3 today, but before we go there, I just want to show you all one little verse that will kind of introduce the whole series, and that's in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. So as Paul's starting this letter to the Ephesians, um, Weber, read what he says in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Okay. So according to this verse, how are we blessed? We're blessed where? We're blessed in Christ. Yep. Yep. And but, what's, what's that mean, you think? That, that we're blessed in Christ. If we're in him, then we can be blessed. And to be in him means that we um, have accepted that what he did, he did for us. Perfect. Yep. Mm-hmm. To be in him means we're, we're joined to him through relationship. Right. We're united to him. Um, A way to think about it is when a man is united to a woman in marriage, all that is his now becomes hers. Right. So if he's a very wealthy man and he marries a, you know, girl from a poor family or low income immediately upon marriage, everything that belongs to him, she now is a co-owner, a co-heir. Similarly, This says that what becomes ours in Christ? Every spiritual blessing. Yes, every spiritual blessing. Okay, which means this, that through our relationship with Jesus, we get to be participants in every single spiritual blessing that he's won for us. When we believe the good news of what he's done, we get him and all his benefits. 
benefits that really transform who we are. Okay, so think of it like this before we jump into to Romans 3. Um, Weber, what happened for you in June of 2012? I won the U.S. Open. You won the U.S. Open, okay. And when you won the U.S. Open, right, when you just beat everybody in golf for four days at the Olympic Club, what came with it? Uh, U.S. Open trophy. Okay, what else? Uh, exemption, money, FedEx Cup points, stuff like that. Yep. A gold medal. Yep. You know, a ring. Yep. Sponsorships. Birdman. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> World ranking points. Five years in majors. Five year on tour. Bonuses and current contracts. Bigger future contracts. Hey, we'll pay you a lot of money just to come to dinner with us. Right? Right. All these things came with that one victory. Right. That one accomplishment brought with it all kinds of significant benefits for you and your team. Mm. Similarly, when Christ died on the cross for us and rose again, and we believed in him, when he won that singular victory through his death and through his resurrection, it came with all kinds of benefits for us. So Mm -hmm. through our relationship with him, now we get him and all that he has accomplished. Okay. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Hey, Uh, that is so good. Because it's funny to think about, like, the U.S. Open though I can do nothing apart from Jesus. Like I went out and I shot a score. And so you could say I earned it, but with what you're talking about, Willie, all these spiritual blessings, which are infinitely greater, we didn't earn any of it and we still got it. Yes. That's amazing. Yes. We're participants in all that he has accomplished for us. So here's what we're going to do and what kind of listener listener can expect for the next 10 weeks Each week in this series, we're going to consider a different benefit that Jesus has won for us, a different aspect of our new identity. And at the beginning of each episode, we're going to start with the bad news about our identity apart from Jesus. We want to let that sink in. And then we're going to turn our attention to what has become true of us now that we're in Christ. So today we're going to be in Romans 3, 9 to 26, and we're going to see kind of big picture in Christ, we're justified. Um, so Ben, if you'll pray for our time and then Weber, you can read Romans three, nine to 26 for us. Lord God, thank you, uh, for the gift of life that you have, um, put in us, uh, through your son, Lord. So, um, it is just crazy that you really have declared us not guilty, uh, Lord, for all the sin that is in our life for those who are in Christ. And so, Lord, we want to know more about what that means. So we ask that you would help us by the power of your spirit to um, understand what you are saying in your word so that you might um, give us life and give us give it to us more abundantly. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Romans 3, 9 through 26. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both, that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. 
Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. All right. Great. Thank you, buddy. Um, So in verses nine to 20, we see some really bad news, a before picture. And verses 21 to 26, we see some really good news, an after picture that redefines who we are. Now, quickly, y'all ever seen those commercials late at night, like on ESPN about somebody starting a new diet and they have a before picture and they have an after picture? Right. Right? That's what we're going to see contrasted each week in this series. There's a clear before and there's a clear after. Uh, Weber, what's Bargatze say about that? So Bargatze, in seeing kind of the before and after picture, he thinks the before body is good enough and he just wants, his goal is to get to the before body picture and he'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. Um, Well, we do not want this before picture. Okay. We can, we can all agree to that. So how's Paul start in verse nine? talking about Jews and Gentiles and are the Jews better off? Yeah. And what does he conclude? That if you're a Jew, um, you're essentially not better off. You're both under sin. Exactly. All he says, we've already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin. Okay. If he says we've already charged it, he's pointing us back to what happened earlier in the letter. Okay, so if y'all just flip back quickly to Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, we kind of find the main thesis of the book of Romans in those two verses. And what does Paul write in Romans 1, 16 and 17 as he sets up the entire book? For I am now ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteousness shall live, the righteous shall live by faith. Yep, good. So what's the idea as he kind of sets up where he's going in this whole book? Uh, the idea is that the the good news of salvation is not just for the Jews. It's to the Jews, to the Greeks. Um, it's to anyone who wants to know Jesus. Yes, good. There's a way for sinful people to be made righteous. Mm-hmm. And it comes through this gospel, this good news. Okay. And it's received by faith. That's what the book of Romans is essentially about. But before Paul gets to the good news, which comes in our text today, the very next verse begins to tell us some really bad news. So what comes right after Romans one seventeen? 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Okay, so what does that mean? God hates sin. Yeah. And that, and that man um, doesn't do it right. And we have suppressed the truth, meaning we have not lived in the light or in a godly way. Yes. Okay. And so who, who is he talking about here? Now let's go back to verse nine. Who in their ungodliness and unrighteousness has suppressed the truth and who should expect the wrath of God? Everyone. Yes. All both Jews and Greeks are under sin. Now, have I told you before what this word all means in the original? (laughs) Yes. It's an, It's an amazing translation. It means all. It means all. That's right. Okay. Um, So Paul goes out of his way for three whole chapters to show that all are under sin. He shows that the second half of chapter one, that the kind of worldly, irreligious people, they're under sin and subject to God's judgment. In chapter two, verse one through chapter three, verse eight, he shows that the religious, devout people, they're also under sin. And then he starts to now bring it to a close to wrap up his kind of condemning summary in 3, 9 to 20 to show that nobody's exempt from this. So he's talking in terms of these Jews and Greeks. How might you guys apply this to modern day America? How might you make the same statement about people today? Same summary statement. I mean, you you could say the religious and the non-religious. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of, I think that's what he's talking about. Exactly. To the people who look like they have it together and the people who, you know, don't think they have it together. Right. Exactly. And early on, Webb, you kind of shared about your journey through high school and the first part of college of trying to, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, for lack of a better term, work your way to God. You know, so. Remind us just sort of of your Christian resume and then apply this verdict to you, even in that state. Yeah. I mean, I think intellectually I believed in Jesus. I believed that he was a son of God, but um, intellect is not enough. Uh, Scripture says that even the demons believe Um, Satan has a pretty perfect theology. Um, And what I knew in my head had not affected my heart. I still had a heart of stone, not a heart of flesh. Um, and so I thought, okay, what do Christians do? Well, they go to church, they go to Bible studies, FCA, maybe, um, maybe even give credit to God when you win a golf tournament. So in my head, I was kind of, I was doing all these things to, to be a Christian instead of I'm a Christian because I believe in Jesus and he saved me from my sins. Um, And so I think I was just a a living example, a classic example of someone who's kind of culturally surrounded by Christian things. Um, I knew how to speak the language. My parents were Christians. And so I just kind of assumed that's what I am. Uh, When I had never made, um, I never made kind of my faith my own in the sense of a relationship with Jesus Christ, a personal relationship. Um, And the weight of my sin had never really affected me. And I, I didn't have a, I, I didn't live a life of repentance. Um, and that was all the way to senior year of college, which is crazy. 22 years old. And I've been around it my whole life. 
Um, but yeah, I, I would have read Romans three, the beginning, you know, nine through um, 20. And I would not have identified myself with this person, but I was that person. Hmm. Good. And so let's, let's use that to transition to verses 10 to 12. How does Paul summarize the condition of every single person apart from Christ? No one is good. Not even one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Um, before conversion, this is how we all are. Every one of us. Yeah. Yeah. So if we apply this to our, our identity, apart from Christ, we see that here's who we really are. Apart from Jesus, we are not righteous. We do not understand. We do not see God. We have turned aside. We have even become worthless. The Bible says we're not good and we do not do good. This is who we are apart from Jesus. And then Paul uses a number of Old Testament verses in 13 to 18 to just hammer it home. There's no part of us left untouched by sin. Okay, so this language of justification that we're talking about today, it's a, it's um, in some ways metaphorical language, and it brings us into a particular arena. Okay, now when you hear the term justification, what realm are we talking about when we're talking about justification? Legal declaration. So we're in a courtroom. We're in a courtroom. Perfect. Yep. And so now let's kind of build out the picture of this. All right. We're in a courtroom and we're on trial. Who is the judge? God, the father. God, God is the judge. Right. And we are before him. And according to verses nine to 18, what's the verdict looking like? It's clear that we know no matter who we are, we're guilty. That we're going to get a guilty declaration. The gavel is going to hit and we're going to be declared guilty according to these verses. Yeah. And you see that exact thing crystal clear in verse 19. Ben, what's 19 say? Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Okay, so what what picture does this paint? One day, we will be before God the judge, okay? And if we base our standing with him on our own performance, what can we expect? That we are condemned and that we will build, every mouth will be stopped, we will build, be held accountable and ultimately declared guilty. Yeah. And, and what can we do about it, fellas? In our own strength, by our own performance, what can we do? What's verse 20 say? No human being will be justified in his sight. Yeah. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. We got no chance. We got no chance. Hey, please share the quote from uh, Whitfield. Yeah. Okay. So it's so good. We've said it before, but it's worth saying again. Um, The first part of this verse says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. That's like our own attempts at righteousness, our own, our own obedience. It's not going to count for anything before God. It's not going to fix our problem. And in his very last sermon, this famous preacher in the 1700s, George Whitfield, stood up on a small stage in Massachusetts, and he yells out to thousands of people, 
Works. Works. You think you can get to heaven by works? You got a better chance of climbing to the moon on a rope made out of sand. <laughs> that is great. Every step you're slipping. Yeah. All yeah. right. So quickly before we move to the good news, guys, what are some ways in 2023 that people look to so-called works of the law to justify ourselves, our own behaviors, our own performances? How, how did, what do people do to make them prop themselves up before God? Compare, show themselves on social media as doing good things or looking yeah. or looking good, mm-hmm. looking like they have it together. Yeah. I mean, for some people it's going to church. Yeah. Giving some money. Yep. Um, maybe even doing church things, getting baptized or, <clears throat> you know, praying a prayer or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but it, these verses tell us that if we're basing our standing with God on anything other than Jesus Christ, we will not be justified. That's right. Not right with him. Mm-hmm. And just a couple verses that hammered home. This is not just Romans. This is everywhere else. Um, Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Okay, it's 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 obscene language in seventh century BC, but Isaiah says even our best attempts on our own to be righteous before God, they're equivalent to a used menstrual garment. You don't know how good your best sermon is, or your best prayer is, or your best church going is. It's like a used menstrual garment if that's what you're going to base your right standing with God on. He's that holy. And we're that sinful. Or another one, James 2.10 says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. What's that mean? If you're not perfect, you're guilty. Yeah. And we know we know that no one's perfect. Yeah. You've broken one command, you've broken them all. Yeah. Okay, so... Here's the bad news. Here's our before picture. All right. Here's what Nate Bargatze does not want. (laughs) In the courtroom of God, before God, the judge to whom we're accountable, we're guilty. All of us. Our sin deserves judgment. It deserves death. And there's nothing we can do on our own to fix Uh it. That's the verdict. That's the bad news. Okay. But the Lord came to do something good. He brought really, really good news. And the good news starts in 21. There's good news for identity. Mm-hmm. In Jesus. Um, and how does Paul get going with that good news in verses 21 and 22? But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe for there is no distinction. Okay. So what's the idea? What's he, how's he giving us some hope right here? There's a way to be justified away and apart from the law. Yes. There is a way for ungodly, unrighteous people, guilty people like the three of us and anybody listening to be made right with God. Mm -hmm. And then the second half of 22 and in 23, Paul summarizes the diagnosis one more time. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's been made so clear. But now we get to this glorious news in 24. And what does 24 say? What can happen for us? 
we were we justified. Can, go ahead, Ben. Yeah, we're justified by his grace as a gift through the yeah. redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay. So let, let's slow down on this term justified. Um, ben already helped us by showing us that this is legal language. It's courtroom language. Okay. It takes us back into the courtroom before God, the judge, where we find ourselves guilty and deserving of judgment and wrath. And we're awaiting this sentence of hell that we deserve. But this says that there is a way for us to be justified. So Ben, help us with what it means to be justified. So justified means that God is now thinking of us as he thinks of Christ um, without sin so that we are cleansed of all unrighteousness. Okay, good. Yes, yeah, this legal term. And there's think of it as like one coin with two sides. Okay. One side of the verdict comes down and says, not guilty, forgiven, pardoned. God legally forgives us. Okay. But that's not all he does. On the other side of the coin, he says, not only do I forgive you and pardon you, but I am declaring you to be righteous, mm-hmm. the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Amen. And not only does he declare us to be forgiven of all sin and righteous in his sight, but going forward, he, he resolves forever to treat us that way. So good. That way. He'll never, he'll never bring these sins up against um, us again. No, it's, I mean, Ben, we were talking this weekend about Psalm 103, right? And for two guys like us who struggle with sin and are fighting sin in our own lives, and sometimes mm-hmm. we do things we shouldn't do, or we get angry with people we love or whatever, how far does the Lord separate our sins from us? As far as the east is from the west, and he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Yes. Mm-hmm. Great is the steadfast love of the Lord. It's just like, it's almost hard to take. It's so beautiful. It's so crazy and other than the way we think yes so now not down now this morning we're talking about this idea that it's god's kindness that leads us to repentance mm-hmm. you know it's not a fear like a unhealthy fear of a angry judge it's actually the kindness the grace he offers the forgiveness he offers in christ is what leads us to repentance like that is what makes me want to not only repent of sin, but with his help, stay strong when I'm tempted to sin. Amen. And y'all think about this, like, and I love that you took this to God because that's exactly where Paul goes next. The, the way that we're justified is not just God pardoning somebody who's guilty apart from any justice being executed, right? You remember, we talked about this in episode 36, God is a just God. Mm-hmm. And so a transaction has to take place in order for sinners like us to be justified. Mm-hmm. Right. And so um, the word that we looked at multiple times in that, why did Jesus die series propitiation verse 25 tells us that God put forth Jesus as a propitiation by his blood. The way that we can be justified is that Christ, Jesus Christ, the sinless, perfect, righteous one is put forward and his life is offered up in the place of ours. And he's punished with our punishment on the cross. 
He sheds his blood where our blood should have been shed. So now God's righteousness has been upheld. And legally, he can look on Christ and pardon us, right? He can count to us what Christ has done. It's just a, unbelievable. So let's just get back in that illustration real quick. If we're in the courtroom before God the judge and we're guilty, how does God solve the problem? Like tell the story through that lens, I guess. Hey, God, as you said earlier, he didn't just say, okay, we're, we're forgiven and we're not guilty anymore. Um, because he's just, he had to punish sin. And so he punished sin. He punished his son uh, for us. So not only are our sins fully forgiven, past, present, future, um, it, it doesn't stop there. It's ongoing, and now we are, as the Bible says, we're co-heirs with Christ. We become part of his family. Yes. But sin and had to be punished. We can't had to forget be, that. Exactly. That's why God says what he does in verse 26. He becomes just, or it doesn't become, he is. He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Mm. He is just because sin is punished in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But he is the justifier and that he looks at guilty, sinful rebels like us. And he, because of the work of Christ, because of his perfect righteous life and his sin atoning death, he can look at us and credit all that to our account. Mm. And so we're treated with the righteousness of Jesus Christ because of the work of Jesus Christ. Um, now, we've got to ask this. Uh how does this transaction take place? How do we get in on this? There's two little words in verse 25. Um, and there's a couple little words in verse 22 that make it really clear. So if, if I'm aware of my guilt and I'm listening to this, if I'm aware of my rebellion against God, but I want to be forgiven of my sin, I want to be declared righteous in God's sight. I see that Christ really has died. How do I get in on it? How does Paul instruct us? It says in 22, it says through faith mm-hmm. and Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's right. In verse 25, uh, you got to receive it. It's a gift. Yeah. You receive this by faith. We believe that what he did, he did for us. Now there's two sides to it. Um, Jerry Bridges is a guy who died probably six or seven years ago, but he wrote so helpfully on some of this stuff. And he says that there's two sides to justifying faith. One side is to renounce and one side is to rely. So when it comes to being made right with Jesus, what do you think we need to renounce? Our sin and um, our old way of life and stop trusting in ourselves and start trusting not only in the work of Jesus Christ, but his way. Um, yeah. And not our own, because we are, it says the Bible says that we are bent towards sin. And so we need to turn, turn away from our old way and turn to Christ and rely on him to lead us, guide us um, and take on, um, abide, take on his yoke and follow him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So a hundred percent. We got to renounce our sin. We got to say, I, I want to part with that old life. That that's the life that killed my savior. 
right? So I want to reject that. But part of faith also, guys, and this is so big, especially if you're from the Bible Belt, it's big for you to get. We're also renouncing our own attempts at righteousness. Mm. We're no longer banking on what we do. We Mm. reject that. We, We say my church going, my money giving, my, you know, whatever it is that I think makes me good or better than other people, I reject that as a way to get to God. And mm-hmm. I trust Jesus Christ alone. Yep. Um, there's a little helpful phrase that's often overlooked in Hebrews chapter six, verse one. The writer of the Hebrews calls it part of the elementary teaching of the faith. But he tells us that we are to repent from dead works. Mm-hmm. Not only do we repent of our sin, but we repent of thinking our good works get us to God. Right. And we just say, I'm not banking on that anymore. So we renounce both our sin and our attempts to be righteousness, righteous on our own. And then we rely on what Ben already helped us here, but say it again. What are we relying on completely now? Jesus Christ and his death, his life, death and sacrifice for us. A hundred percent. Through our faith in him. That's right. Hey, Willis. Yeah, go ahead, Bob. One quick thought. The... You're spot on, like the idea works do us no good when it comes to working our way to God or earning favor with God. And I think there's a clear distinction between our good works good. Yes, they are good if done as a result from faith, not for faith or for favor. Ephesians 2 says we're his workmanship creating Christ Jesus for good works. And so I think the distinction is, there are good works out there for us to do, and it's called obedience. But don't for one second think that our obedience will earn us anything with God. Our obedience comes from the fact that we are loved, that he forgives us. That's where that good works idea comes from, I think, is, is super important. 100%. It's all about the order of operations, right? Right. Exactly. Um, okay, so we renounce our old attempts at righteousness, we rely on Jesus Christ alone. And that person, the Bible says, is justified by God's grace as a gift, legally forgiven and declared righteous in his sight. Okay. So not only do we renounce our attempts at righteousness, but we rely on Christ alone. And and I want to just speak quickly to the person who um, feels like they might have a weak faith. They feel like, okay, I, th- I think I believe this, but I'm not sure. So uh, Ben and Webb, y'all fly all the time, right? Yeah. Let's say um, y'all are going to some golf tournament. You say, hey, Willie, I want you to tag along with me. And let's say I'm scared of flying. And we, we get on the plane together and we sit next to each other. And, you know, one of y'all puts on your iPad for a movie. The other one falls fast asleep. And then here I am. And I'm just over there in the corner panicking. All right. And up we go and there's a little turbulence and I start freaking out. Well, y'all are locked into your movie. One of you is fast asleep. I'm throwing up in the throw up bag. Uh, This goes on for an hour and a half. Here's my question. Which one of us gets to our destination safely? Everyone gets there at the same time. And we're all (laughs) as the person who's weaker and the person who's stronger they God still brings them brings them home safely at the same time. Exactly. And that's what happens when we are justified in Christ. Somebody might be more aware of it and they're going to enjoy it far more, right? Mm-hmm. 
But if you believe that what Christ said he did for you, if you bank on him and him only, you are immediately forgiven of sin and declared righteous. Mm-hmm. It's not the strength of our safe or a faith that saves us. It's the object of our faith. Come on. It's who and what our faith is in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this means something enormous for our identity, right? So now if you had to take what we're looking at today and you have to put it in a statement about who we are, who would you say that we are in Christ based on this passage? We are an heir. We are justified as if um, we have lived a perfect life. We've gotten, Jesus has credited to our account all the benefits of being God's son, even though we have done nothing to deserve it because we have had faith that what Jesus did, he did for us. Mm -hmm. Good. Yep. In Christ, though we were once guilty, deserving and awaiting God's judgment, we are completely forgiven of all sin. We are declared righteous with Jesus's own righteousness and God himself relates to us on that basis. Mm. And and, and I think one clarifying thing that doesn't mean that all the consequences of sin are necessarily removed in that moment. There's still, you know, an alcoholic who might um, still be tempted to drink, or there might be, um, you know, some legal things in the world. It doesn't mean all of the consequences are removed, but it does mean that we are standing right with God. And one day we will enjoy eternity with him where we no longer struggle with sin because of his um, perfection has been credited to us. Exactly. Amen. Exactly right. And so our desire is that the three of us and all who are listening would live in the good of that. You would, you would be aware that you are forgiven and declared righteous by the highest opinion, by the highest throne, by the one true God. That's how he views you. That's what he has declared you if your faith is in Christ. Now let's, let's kind of close with this. Um, what if, what if we don't feel justified? Like Webb question for you, you want, you actually won the U S open in 2012. Do you feel like a U.S. open champ every day? No, no way. (laughs) Do your feelings change reality? No, no, you are a U.S. open champ for God's grace. You won that golf tournament. You are forever. Your name is written on it. You are a champion, right? That's helpful. Um, when we don't feel justified, what should we do? Man, we should first look to scripture and see what God says and feels about us. Yes. And those struggle days to the listener, you might have to tell yourself over and over and read over and over and remind yourself over and over. Um, it happens in our marriage where my wife has to remind me after I've sinned that, whether she loves me and forgives me or the Lord forgives me, I have to remind her. Um, so yeah, I would say talk to yourself. Don't listen to yourself. Yeah. That, that's one of the things I got in here that became famous by this pastor named Martin Lloyd Jones, but it comes right out of the Bible. Paul says in Colossians three fifteen, let the word of Christ, the message about Christ dwell in you richly. Mm-hmm which is just a fancy way of saying, don't ever get over this good news about Jesus. That's right. Keep it in front of your face. Okay. Yep. 
The other thing I would say, if, if this is not a part of your life, is make sure you're a part of a church that preaches the gospel every single week. Yep. We forget it, you know, but Martin Luther, he, he famously said, every week I preach justification by faith to my people because <laughs> every week they forget it. <laughs> so we've got to keep this before us, both in our own personal time, through our friendships, and then through our church. Um, all right, last kind of thing I want to hit is this. Um, there's a couple couple common states of soul that we all find ourselves in pretty regularly. Um, one is when we're struggling with sin, and then others are when we're feeling really good about how we're doing. Mm-hmm. So if, if a listener finds themselves in a place of struggling with sin, how might they m- remind themselves of their justification? What would that look like? I think it's reminding yourself of justification often looks like prayer of thankfulness, thanking God that he really has um, justified us. He's gone to the greatest lengths we could ever know by um, Jesus Christ dying in our place to declare us not guilty. So just simply, and then asking God to help you um, receive that and then to praise him for it. um, That can be a good way to just, um, and just looking in scripture for that. And obviously Romans chapter three in these later verses, um, 21 to 26 is a, is a great way to be reminded of that. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And then Weber, what about those days where we feel like, I don't know if I need the gospel. How, how would we preach justification by faith in a way that serves us then if we're feeling mm. kind of good in ourselves? Well, an early guest uh, speaker on the podcast, Dave Owen, um, whether he, he made this up or he's quoting someone else, he, he has this saying where he says the gospel not only saves us, but sustains us for everyday living. So the good news of Jesus Christ isn't a prayer we pray and we never revisit the gospel again. The gospel is something we revisit every day. And hopefully every morning when you get up, you're thinking about what Christ did for you, who you are in light of that and how that's going to inspire your day. Like that's where the fuel for our marriage, family, work comes from. Um, And so if I ever feel like, man, I'm doing this Christian life pretty good, I'm quickly reminded whether it's Paul's words of there's no one who does good, no, not one, or Jesus's words, which are even stronger, who who said, um, apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, And I just realized any good in me is not me. It's not Webb Simpson. It's the fruit from Jesus. It's the righteousness from Jesus. It's the aroma of Christ coming out of me. Um, and like John the Baptist said, I need a decrease. He needs to increase. Um, and I would say both places that you and Ben are talking about, and, and I'm talking about, they're, they're both dangerous and you never want to, you never want to get so down on yourself about your sin. I think sin, the weightiness, yes. What it means against the Holy God. Yes but don't stay there. I don't think Christ would want us to stay there. I think he, first John one nine, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, and it's just, you know, I love thinking about parenting as it relates to this. If my, one of my children disobeys me, but they're sincere in their apology, like I don't want them to sulk in it. I want them to move on and feel my forgiveness. And so, um, yeah, let's, let's not live, 
so down in our sin and let's not live high and proud of our righteousness because neither one of those serves Christ. And William, give us just a quick, we say the word gospel a lot. Give us real quick, what is the gospel? Yeah, the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived the perfect life that we should have lived, that he died on the cross for our sins, and then he rose again from the grave, defeating death, and that he holds out this free offer that anyone who believes in him can be forgiven of all their sin and declared righteous in God's sight. And going forward, God will treat you that way. So that's our identity in Christ. If we believe, we are completely pardoned by God, and God views us with the righteousness of Jesus. All right, quick challenge to our listeners. This uh, fall, we're going to give you one verse each week to memorize. So if you want to help this be written on your heart more deeply, the verse for this week is 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's going to capture our justification. So challenge you to remember that. Um, Thank you for listening to the Bible Caddy podcast. If you've got questions about Jesus, you can always email us at biblecaddy at gmail.com. You can follow us on all the socials under the handle at Bible Caddy. If you enjoy the podcast, you can subscribe to it or leave us a review. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. And who do you think you are? Until then, let's get into the word and let the word get into us. Oh, 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 oh.